Welcome to the Indoor AirPod, a show dedicated to our shared surroundings with industry heavyweights that are dedicated to designing, developing, manufacturing, and disrupting the status quo in order to make all our spaces cleaner and safer for everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Indoor AirPod. I'm Gary Moody, the host. My guest today is Bernard Clement, and Bernard is with Johnson Controls. He's involved with uh, product management and healthy buildings. Also sitting in today is J.B. Anderson, the producer of the Indoor AirPod. Bernard, it's really wonderful to have you on. Uh, your interest in time is, is very much appreciated. Um, as you know, there's a lot to discuss when a topic of- Thank you, of, thank you for having me, uh, Gary. You bet. Always a lot to discuss regarding IQ and the conversation, as you know, can go in in just so many different directions. But before we get started about what your role is with Johnson Controls is, why don't you share a little bit of your background? Uh, you've got an extensive experience. Well, uh, thank you. Yes, uh, I think so. Um, I grew up in France uh, and uh, started actually with Johnson Controls as my first uh, company in France. Uh, I had an original training of mechanical engineering and production engineering uh, back in France, went through all over Europe for Johnson Controls and uh, moved to the U.S. a while back, uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, Johnson sent me to China in the meantime, uh, okay. where uh, I've been um, managing product uh, for the uh, HVAC and control uh, for Johnson Controls all this time. So uh, 27 years of HVAC experience at this yeah, point. Yeah, your, your background is very, it's very unique having worked in China and, and mm -hmm. abroad. And for those people that are listening, Bernard, uh, that really don't know a lot about Johnson Controls, uh, I certainly know of Johnson Controls, uh, recognized worldwide. Can you give a kind of a general overview of who Johnson Controls is today, uh, what, what you're involved sure. with, and what the future looks like? So Johnson Control is a global Fortune 100 uh, company. Uh, we have a branch, uh, brands such as Metasys for building automation system, York for our HVAC equipment. Uh, we just acquired FM System, which is a um, occupancy uh, space management uh, company. Uh, we own Cook Filter in the uh, as, uh, in the filtration space. Uh, we own also Simplex in the uh, access control and fire detection, uh, which we also manage. So really, all equipment for buildings and mostly commercial buildings. And we're developing heavily in the digital space around. Uh, Open Blue, which is our brand in the digital uh, space, and which uh, help anal uh, analyze data that is coming from the building. Okay. Regarding last year, 2023, how, what type of year did Johnson Controls have? Uh, was it a good year? Was it a great year? And most importantly, what are you, what are you projecting for 2024? So uh, we had a reasonably good, good year. Um, uh, when I look at indoor air quality coming out of the pandemic, uh, it was not going as gangbuster as before, but still 
uh, we saw that um, um, indoor air quality is growing faster than before the pandemic. Uh, there's certainly a, a, a lot more interest. I was at the AHR show uh, two weeks ago. Um, the uh, the questions were not anymore, what do you have for IAQ? But how can you manage your energy and manage also IAQ at the same time? So the dynamic has changed. Uh, we're in a different phase. Before it was all infection control uh, and uh, we've gone beyond that now, which IEQ is a much wider scope. Uh, forest fire and wildfire have been a big topic this summer. So all this comes together into making the discussion around IEQ much wider. Yes, as we both know, IEQ is an extraordinarily broad landscape. Uh, it takes into account, you know, certainly what occurs outdoors can end up indoors. Regarding a healthy building, for those people that are listening, uh, what, what is a healthy building? What's, what's your definition if someone were to ask you what a healthy building is? And, and maybe more importantly, what's an unhealthy building? Well, a, a healthy building to me is a building that has a low impact both on the environment and on the people that are inside of it. It's really the conjunction of both. Uh, it's not useful to be low energy if all the people inside of the buildings are sick or uh, the opposite, uh, having too good of an air quality, if I may say, and spending too much energy. We need to be uh, conscious that we need to reduce uh, energy consumption. So it's really a balance and balance. It's a risk reward uh, approach. Okay. You know, if I put myself in the, in the position or the shoes, so to speak, of a building owner or yep. manager, somebody, you know, the person that would make decisions about, you know, okay, I would, I would want my building, of course, to be as healthy as possible, but obviously there's money involved. When the question comes up uh, with a prospective new client, what type of conversation do you have with them about what type of return on investment they might expect? Well, so there's several uh, part to this uh, question. Um, first, there's a part which is related to employee productivity. Absolutely, yeah. having a good indoor air quality is now demonstrated by many, many studies that it improves the profitability, the productivity of the employee. And if I look at a average company balance sheet, you know for a building there is if you've got three dollars that is spent in energy you've got 30 that is spent for the building and 300 that are spent on your employee if i improve my productivity by one percent it eats up the entire energy uh, budget right so that's very obvious that there is a return and and the numbers that people are talking about uh, are around seven percent i mean i was reading a paper from gsa recently that is talking about 7% improvement in productivity when the indoor air quality is good. So make the calculation seven times 300, that's way more than what the energy budget is. The flip side of this is that it's really easy to measure the energy improvement. It's really difficult to measure the um, productivity improvement. There are so many other factors, right? Um, 
how the company is performing, who the, the your uh, your uh, boss is, all those parameters. Is it only air quality? Is it lighting? Is it you know? It's really complex to say, hey, the improvement is due to this. Yes, it's an extraordinarily complicated subject, and I have no doubt in the long term. Healthy buildings are going to be more and more and more of interest. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I don't ever recall entering a building uh, for whatever reason in duration that I was reassured to some extent that the building, the building was being seriously addressed uh, in terms of you know the state of the building and most importantly, would I get sick if I was on the premises from having been there? So Gary, this is true here in the U.S. Uh, we don't. It, it, we've been uh, fortunate that the outdoor air has always been, I would say, relatively good. Right? Yes, there are pockets of ozones and pockets of radon and things like these. I lived in China, right? As you said early, China is was uh, the worst place for indoor air quality, uh, for outdoor air quality. And there were some companies that that had a 72-inch screen at the entrance of the building that was demonstrating uh, what level of PM was in the building. And that was five or six years ago already, right? Today, uh, we're seeing those types of requests in the U.S. from, uh, fr from the perspective of return to work. You know, people that goes to the office wants to know that the indoor air quality is good wants to know what we're doing for them. And uh, we're seeing those types of kiosks becoming more and more uh, popular uh, so that pe people are being um, uh, comforted that it's the right place for, for them to, to go. Yeah, which leads me to, I guess, the next question was, do you think indoor air quality monitoring will be commonplace in the long-term in buildings? Uh, when I say long-term, maybe five years out, do you think it'll be something that's common or not? I, I think it will. Uh, you know, the commercial uh, building space is very complex. Uh, there's leaders and laggers, uh, of course. Um, you know, there are uh, class A buildings in New York are uh, having a lot of requests for indoor air quality and demonstrating to their employee that the air uh, that the air is good, um, and people are getting additional revenue for their uh, for their rents uh, because of the indoor air quality. So that drags the uh, requirement for more monitoring. Uh, the question is, what should we monitor? Right. Yeah. Good question. Uh, what are the, the the right things to monitor? We're monitoring uh, CO two, and and to some extent, uh, you know, beyond indoor air quality, uh, I also put temperature and humidity, which are really really important. Uh, yeah. But CO two has been a really good uh, measure of ventilations and making sure that circulation of air is happening properly. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that PM is probably the worst uh, pollutant that we have to deal with. Yeah. And it, so we should measure that. Beyond those three, it's more a uh, what is the best for the building. In some areas, it could be a radon. In others, it could be ozone. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and 
could be also chemicals. Uh, but I think the science is still tr uh, trying to be completely clear on what needs to be done. And then once you've got the monitoring, and this is where Johnson Controls is investing heavily, is what do we do with this data? Because there is going to be a data fatigue. Uh, you know, I have looked at those charts for months at my house, and then now we're two years, three years down the road, and I don't look at them uh, so often. But we need to automate the reaction, right? My CO2 is uh, is uh, high. What do I do? Well, I bring more air. And we've been doing that for 20 years. You know, this is not something new on how to react to the indoor air quality. The What is new is the prevalence of the monitoring every every place. You, you and, the, and the need to do, to do so. Yeah, you know, putting myself again in the, the position of a, a building owner or the management, would I really want to have indoor air quality monitoring? Personally, yes. But I don't think that I would want to make that data transparent to anybody that's on the premises. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Is that is that going to be something that will... Uh, so, you know. I've seen several... Uh, so, some people react exactly the way you said. I don't want to make it available. There's two questions behind this. <laughs> is the, the, the two parts to this is, what do I make available, right? Do yes. I need to tell to the average person that my PM is at... 12 microgram per cubic meter and my CO2 is at uh, 1500 ppm, they don't know what it means. Exactly. So what you can do though is say, my air quality is good. You know, yeah. I like the, uh, uh, there is, I hate scores and I like scores. I hate scores because it gives me a number that hides a lot of things behind it. But it's also good because it gives me, it's a good information to report to other people. Yes, on average, this is good. Yes, on average, it is bad. But if it. I take a score, I don't know what to do with it. I can't control a building based on a score. Yeah, it's interesting you would mention that. And it doesn't seem like it's mentioned very often, Bernard, but there's a heck of a lot of psychology involved. Yes. Uh, for whatever reason, within our, our thought process, we all want to be reassured to some extent that we're safe. Yes, and, and so I like the idea of, if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, you know, it's either the air quality is good, or it's okay, or it could be better. You know, however you want to. Yes, but you know, it's IQ monitoring. As you know, it's been around a long time. It's not something new. But I, I think my guess is, the public is going to want to more and more have an idea of what they're being exposed to. So, where where I do see uh, people asking for uh, more. Uh, transparency is in the schools. Yes. Uh, schools have been asking us if I do indoor air quality, I want it to be public and published. I mean, uh, you know, Boston has done that uh, very, very well, uh, where all their schools are actually displaying what yeah. is the indoor air quality at every single point in time, uh, which is great. Schools also um, wants to use it as an education which I think would be awesome because there is a lot of need of education around indoor air quality, right? It's Why huge. do we teach our kids about the food pyramids 
but we don't know what's in the air. Right. Along those lines, uh, I think what you're saying loud and clear, IAQ 101 should, yes. be taught, should be taught in all schools at a relatively young age, whatever that might be. It should start in elementary school. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, just it's it's elementary IAQ. Yes. But I also think right alongside of that, water 101 should be taught the hydrologic cycle because yeah. our air and our water obviously is, is critical to our existence. Uh, um, agree. But you drink a gallon of water, you breathe 2,000 yeah. gallons of air, right? You so put your, uh, I'm putting my priority on the air. And I would say on the water, we've already done a lot of work, right? Yeah. It's not that we're not starting from, from zero. And the air quality, uh, people don't know anything. I didn't yeah. know anything about air quality before leaving in China, quite frankly, yeah. where it becomes front and center and you start to to dig into it and what it is, how does it work? What are the parameters that are important to me? I, I've asked a, a few people that I that I met for the first time and you know, we exchange information about what we do. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, sometimes I'll ask them a question and tell them it's not meant to be a trick question, but if they could tell me everything they know about IAQ, where would they start and where would they, you know, move mm -hmm. forward? And, and people literally do not know what to say. So the public very much needs to be educated. And unfortunately, uh, there's basically no mainstream IAQ related news that's published. It's, it's more local, but yet in the mainstream news cycle, there's an enormous amount of environmental news literally every day, and it's tied to climate change and and uh, solar and wind and, and uh, decarbonization, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think it's because I can see it. I can show it, right? Yep. In a world where everything is a video or a picture, I can show a river in LA that, or a street in LA that is flooded. I can show uh a uh hurricane damage or things like these i can't show the damage of indoor air quality on your lungs or on people and there's still to be frank there's still a lot of things to learn right from absolutely the the, the total impact we know that pm 2.5 is really bad for you we know that it gets into your lung the total extent of what it affects i don't think we we We've only scratched the surface, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting you mention that because 10 years ago and even farther out, uh, a lot has been learned based on what I see about IAQ where we're at in the present. But I, I'm on the same page with you. I think a lot more is going to be learned about the significant well, health threat to, to human health. There was an article yesterday or no, last week about person that was making a study of the combination of PM and NO2 and that the effect was worse when the two were combined than when NO2 was alone, right? And, and I think those interactions were at the, at, the, at the beginning. How does humidity impact those various uh, parameters, those various uh, chemicals or particulates? How does humidity affect aerosols? All those elements are really we're scratching the surface. Yeah, it's it's very early stage, and and obviously it takes time for change to happen. Uh, yep, 
I think it's obvious that there's no widespread public demand that a lot more be done at this point in time regarding the indoor environment. And for that matter, there's no widespread public demand that I see that a lot more be done regarding climate change. So the public needs educated. And I, I, I'd like to think in the long term, more and more of the public is going to be interested in the indoor environment and the impact on our health. I think, you know, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. There's models that uh, we can follow and that we've seen in the past, you know, uh, smoking yeah. right, comes to mind. It took a long time to educate kids that smoking is bad. Uh, food uh, quality is another concern and it's taking time to educate people. So I hope it's going to go faster for uh, air quality and indoor air quality in particular, uh, but it's about education. Yeah, and we both know knowledge is healthy. In your opinion, which build type of buildings of the following three in general have the worst indoor air quality? Schools, nursing homes, or hotels? Um, I, I can't really comment about a nursing home, but we at Johnson Control have done a lot of um, indoor air quality audit, we call it, okay. uh, in schools in particular, because uh, you know there was funding from the government to help in that direction. And really, uh, this is a, a, an audit that we do at Johnson, uh, which helps uh, give a baseline of what's going on into the building. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. Uh, with, not in the US, but we've measured CO2 at 5,000. Wow. <laughs> right? So uh, schools are definitely up there. Uh, hotel, uh, we've gone through an audit in a hotel and we immediately found that an, uh, a piece of air conditioning broke during uh, a night because the CO2 went up. So I think there's progress to be done. I think there's standards to, to, to be clarified and, and, and clean and various code to be reviewed. Hey, hey everybody. Uh, hi, Bernard JB here. Um, been listening and, and, and swallowing it up in real time here. And the one thing that is, is a question on the front of my mind as it applies to uh, indoor air quality, Johnson Controls in particular, and, and looking at the at your site currently, the push to the blue technologies, et cetera, within a lot of the descriptors of the current process and products, there's AI, uh, mm -hmm. which is an extremely uh, hot subject matter these days. And I'm really curious along the lines of what you and Gary were just talking about from a monitoring standpoint and what do you do with that data and who do you want to show that data to? How is Johnson Controls approaching the, the, the monitoring and that data with AI in mind and what is AI specifically doing in the Johnson Controls world uh, on these fronts? Uh, well, uh, we're very careful uh we uh, there are some obvious things and we've been using ai in, in many uh for many years in, in separate uh product of johnson controls um what it helps us uh in particular an example is i'm looking at a pattern of data and i'm looking at 
um, CO2 that increases every single day. And then one day doesn't. Why? You know, you've got a school where you've got, um, uh, let's say, one sensor per classroom. So you've got 30 sensors that every day records data every minute. How come I look at the data and I can pull out which one is wrong by just looking at it? Uh, and uh, I need AI can do the same thing for me and I don't have to look at it anymore. So there are pockets of information that that we can use or pockets of a method that would help us uh, go through the data and give us some um, information of this is not like the others, for instance, right? Um, by looking at data like this, for instance, uh, we found in a, in a school that one class had a higher PM than the others. And we said, oh, that's strange. And when we went back to the, to the school, we said, well, that's the art class. So in the art class, we tear paper, we, um, uh, we do uh, all kinds of activity, which of course would need a higher ventilations. Uh, so those are our examples of things is going through all this data for us and pulling information that says that is not normal. That, that's one example, there's many others. Uh, we also do um, what we call multi-stove. Uh, so we want to solve for low energy and high indoor air quality. How do we do it? Well, the, um, uh, our AI models are able to actually simulate uh, the amount of energy spent for multiple various uh, uh, level of indoor air quality options in the building and figure out which one is the optimum uh, based on that. Um, we're not at the point where we want the AI to actually do everything automatically, uh, but it proposes options to, uh, to, the, to the, uh, um, uh, the operators of the building. Okay, cool. Regarding Legionnaire's disease, Bernard, um, in your opinion, do you think it's actually a lot more common than we really know. It, it, there, there's news all the time, certain times of the year. Uh, there, there is. Uh, I, I don't really have a good position on that other than it's really specific to a type of equipment where mm -hmm. water is um, aerosolized and, and, and the types of equipments include uh, uh, cooling towers from HVAC system, but also fountains in, in in hotels, and that's why in Las Vegas it's often in the news because we've got fountains and water and and all those things. Uh, but um, is is it wider than uh, what it is really? You know, I think Gary, that if I put in perspective the number of people that die from PM and the people of, uh, of uh, the number of people that are affected by uh, Legionella, which one is worse? There's an order of magnitude between the two. You you bet. We, and, and another metric or uh, another problem I think that may be under the radar is carbon monoxide poisoning that's non-lethal. I mean, there's an enormous amount during the winter months, Bernard. Of yeah 
carbon monoxide news uh, poisoning, but it's all local and it doesn't make the mainstream news unless it's a significant event and, and there's multiple fatalities. In your opinion, is carbon monoxide long-term exposure harmful uh, to children? I believe so. Uh, so, and I, I think here um, we need to recognize that com commercial buildings have a ventilation system that actually dilute by uh, all those chemicals uh, when you actually circulate the air. In a residential setting, the air stays within the house, right? The, the ventilation is the leaks, so to speak, of uh, uh, that are getting in your house. So. That's probably different uh, way to look at it. Uh, this is, again, I, I haven't looked a lot at the CEO myself. Uh, I know there's a lot of push uh, for uh, additional uh, monitoring on CEO, uh, but you know, uh, there's um, a, a lot of uh, chemicals and product that are, well, I shouldn't say a lot. I should say uh, there's maybe two handfuls that are both uh, dangerous and widely uh, prevalent uh, in, in all of the US. Uh, CO is uh, actually strangely not in that list, but PM is up there, uh, NO2 is up there, ozone is up there, uh, uh, radon is up there, mold. Uh, we didn't talk a, uh, about mold, but mold is up there too. And mold is a really difficult one to, to track. Yeah, it, it's interesting you would mention that. I've, I've asked a few guests in their opinion, what are the top three, four, or five most dangerous indoor air pollutants? And one of the guests actually included CO, not non-lethal CO poisoning, something like almost 500 people die each year. But I think it's... Uh, Reportedly, about 100,000 people visit the emergency room because of CO poisoning. And, and uh, there's just so much natural gas out there. Over mm -hmm. half homes in America uh, have one or more gas appliances. And I, you know, I, I, I think it's in the mix of being one of the da most dangerous pollutants. Ozone is not mentioned that often uh, by well, some people. Uh, it's interesting you would mention ozone. Ozone is really difficult to deal with because it's also outside, yeah. right? So yeah. if you're in California, for instance, the level outside is already above the limit that you should have in a building. So what do you do? Do you stop ventilating? Uh, and this is where I think education is really critical because it's a risk reward uh, based. What do I want to do? Uh, what do I have outside? What do I have inside? And what is the best that I can do with uh, the cards in my hand? And uh, yeah. that's where we need to go, in my opinion. You bet. It's, do you think someday in, in the future, outdoor air quality monitoring at the local level will work in tandem with IAQ monitoring? It has to. It has to. I, you know, there's two things that always uh, surprise me is, you know about those ozone days that we're warned about all the time. Ozone, it's an ozone day, you need to stay indoor. Commercial building brings outdoor air inside all the time. And there is no 
building automation system that actually takes ozone to actually shut down your dampers or reduce your damper to the minimum. Uh, so this should be done. There are things like when the outdoor air is uh, not good, we should not um, uh, bring as much as we can, right? So, and I think the doctors should tell us what is what are those limits, not me, mechanical engineer, uh, but the medical field should tell us what is acceptable and what is not. And the engineers will make it happen in terms of uh, how to control it and how to, uh, to have the HVAC system uh, operate. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned the medical profession. I, I don't see very many people that are medical professionals that really uh, are involved in IAQ. Is that your takeaway also at this point in time? Well, there are some. Uh, yes. I, I, you know, I, I work with some in particular, uh, but uh, I think what we're seeing is that medical people and engineers are have a hard time understanding each other. <laughs> and we're trying really, really hard, but it's different background in education yes. that is leading us to uh, this, uh, this difference. And I think we have to talk. We have to understand each other for the benefit of the society, you know. If you don't mind, uh, JB again here, I, I, I want to ask a question in regards to let's add a third leg to that triangle. You just mentioned, you know, the medical community, i.e. scientists as well. I kind of bundled them as one. And then you have the engineering community that is making and developing this new technology, et cetera. But really, you have what I would consider the third leg of this triangle is the accounting or the finance community trying to figure out what is cost effective uh, you know, fr from a school district standpoint, from a corporate standpoint, from a real estate standpoint, how do you envision, you know, those three legs working better moving forward? And where do you see the true demand coming? Is it going to be an economic uh, uh, influence? Is it going to be moms and family members wanting, you know, spaces healthier for their kids? Is it a purely corporate standpoint? Hey, we want to be first to market, so our stock price values, you know, move commensurate. What what's going to lead the charge into that education and that transactional point? I, I think, um, well, Gary, by doing those podcasts, you're starting to educate people, right? Yeah. That's that's part of what needs to get done. Yes. Uh, I think uh, moms and dads in schools are asking for always more secure safety for their yes. children. And when I say safety, it's physical security, uh, IAQ, all those aspects, but they need to be educated. And, and what I hate is when a parent is getting into the school and saying, this is what you need to do. What, the, what they should be telling us is what outcome they want and we'll figure out how to uh, make it happen because um, there is so many opinion at that point in terms of what is good hair and what is not good hair that uh, if we take only one uh, indication, uh, one measurement, that's not necessarily the, the best thing. 
And JV, to come back to your uh, question on the financial side, I, I think the financial side can help us in measure the outcome, uh, which is really, really difficult to do at this point in time. Yeah. You know, uh, for multiple reasons, because we don't track the data, um, measuring um, the improvement of indoor air quality and absenteeism. Well, that could be a big, uh, easy to measure in principle, but really difficult to execute because there's privacy issues behind this, yeah. right? Or uh, do the employer, uh, can, can the employer share the data? So really complex field where accounting could certainly help us track those metrics over time and, and give us what the, the overall benefit. Thank you. Regarding, uh, regarding the future, do you think someday the indoor air quality industry, Bernard, will be tightly regulated like water is? Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be really difficult to uh, regulate the personal space. I don't think it will ever happen in this country, quite frankly. Um, I think there's a lot of regulation that has already happened on the outdoor. And if, if you look at what has the, the, better, the results of what the EPA has done since the 70s to now, it's tremendous. And, you know, 80% of the air that is in your, in your house is coming from outside, yeah. right? So starting with the outside is really good. Uh, regulatory environment, yes, there needs to be a, a base requirement. I mean, today in the code, there's not even a requirement for a yeah. MER 4, right? Yeah. So <laughs> let alone a MER 13 or a MER 8. But uh, so I think there needs to be a minimum uh, that is uh, understand uh, that is uh, accepted. But is it going to be enough? I don't know. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of issues behind this. Look, if I could, let me just add a part B to that because Gary asked the question or you answered it in, uh, you know, thinking that that won't happen in this country ever. You know, it, it, it um, the, my question to you is, do you think it should happen in this country? Um, I personally don't. I, I don't think we should regulate what people do in their house, right? Uh, and then it's, a, it's uh, and we'll extrapolate that to the commercial space, but people are allowed to smoke in their own house, right? Yeah. Let, let's start there. So we're not going to forbid people to, to smoke in their own house. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to forbid people to use a gas stove, although we might reduce the availability of gas for people uh, in in, uh, in the in the community, the gas stove might get regulated, but there'll still be ways to go around it. I mean, look at uh, light bulbs uh, that were um, uh, incandescent. The the battles that were around forbidding incandescent uh, light bulb in the U.S. It took a lot of time. Yeah. 
if I may, let me just move the guardrails in a little bit because I think Gary and I are hundred percent in agreement that, you know, applying it to a residential standpoint is that's a unicorn dream for some, (laughs) uh, but you know, let's just, let's stick with public spaces, public schools, uh, publicly subsidized and or funded hospitals. Do you think it should be applied in those environments? Um, so I think it's the community to decide what they want in that particular space. Um, if you go hospitals, they already have fairly good indoor air quality because of the standards that are in there. Um, if you go, uh, I think school, I said, uh, defined by the community. Uh, I think there might be some specific cases of regulation and you know, OSHA is doing some of those regulation today, uh, maybe not at the level that that, that we want, <laughs> but they do some of it. Uh, in a company, I think it's it would be, uh, I would see it like a community and somebody needs to decide. And ultimately it's the management team that will decide what is the best for the, the company and for the space that they're using. Um, it's also really, really difficult to um, uh, put a uh, one solution fits all uh, sure. in, in the book. You you know, I was reviewing a, uh, a specification for the UK where in schools, in physical classroom, they have an exception on CO2 because of uh, benzene burners. Well, of course, benzene burners are going to produce CO2. And CEO, right? So putting a regulation that is everything the same in every single environment is really difficult, right? Um, You you are in a mall and there's, you know, I grew up in France, there's a baker, (laughs) a bakery. It smells good, nice. Is there some chemicals that we don't want there? a regulation might be a problem in certain conditions like this. Well, just add a little yeah. butter on top and it'll make it go away. <laughs> For sure. Hey, hey, Bernard, our, our time is winding down. Um, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm mostly on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. I mean, that's how we met Gary. Yeah. We've been, uh, I'm trying to be active and promote as much as possible what I learned over the years in indoor air quality. Uh, but LinkedIn is the place. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. I, I sure would like to have you back later in the year so you could update us. What's the latest with Johnson Controls? Anytime. Thank you, Bernard. Yep. Thank, thank you, you, Bernard. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Indoor Air Pod, produced by Gaslight STL, your podcast partner. Be sure to give our show a follow to keep up with upcoming guests and topics. And please, reach out with any questions or guest suggestions.